finally broke free of this self-image thing in my life was the fact that I had to embrace how different I was. And that um, I became different because of God, and I didn't have to work to be different. And a lot of times I see in, in everyday lives, um, you guys are struggling to be so different, and yet you're working at it when you already are different. You're already created in such a different way with the gifts and the way that God made you that you are different already. You don't have to be a different different, that you already are kind of weird in a certain way. And then if you love Jesus on top of that, that makes you even more weird in this world. And you talk about being different and you want to be kind of set aside um, and not like everybody else. Tell people you love Jesus and find out what happens. They'll really look at you strange. Um, I found that out to be personal in my own life. In all the relationships that I have that are not church relationships, um, they look at you like you're just totally weird. And what I want to talk to you guys tonight about is self-image and what a, a healthy and an unhealthy self-image look like. You guys were able to talk about this in your groups. I really just want to give you a chance to just, whoever has your piece of paper, stand up and tell me your three top self-image issues that your group came up with. It doesn't need an elaborate talk. It just needs the three lists, and we'll be able to go from there. What I want to see is what you came up with compared to what I came up with. Have you guys struggle with relationships? Friendships? Boyfriend, girlfriend? How many of you guys are confused about it? If I don't have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, people are going to think I'm weird. Yeah. How many of you guys, okay, how many of you guys, when you, uh, when you like somebody, when you think you think somebody's cute, you run to your friends and say, what do you guys think? And then if they go, he's ugly. Like, like does that change your opinion? Yes. Yes. Some people... Hey, if you're right, it doesn't. If you're living right for self-image. But sometimes we have to date the right people. Um, what I found is, is, is threefold, and then I want to break into this Bible passage that I have never noticed. And this is the root, I believe, to all self-image issues. I honestly, truly believe that. When you think it through, and here's why I stated that this morning. We have self-image issues. We have this problem sometimes with, am I lovable? Am I quirky enough? What makes me different? What makes me who I am? How do other people view me? Um, can God forgive me for the things that I have done? Um, and I'll tell you why we struggle with that one in a huge way. Um, the Bible actually answers that question. If you read it, you will never find it if you don't read it. And that's why it is so important that Turner and I are always saying why you should read this book. This book will supply us with everything that we need. We covered that one time. But there is everything that you do in your life, this book says something about. It doesn't cover, it doesn't miss anything. And Try it. Or, or come talk to us and say, I don't know about this. So here's what I found. The common issues. We can throw up the first one um, in the back. The first common issue is masking over our real issues. We mask over what our real issues are. 
I met this guy out here the other day selling pumpkins. I'm walking through the building, and I hear, I, don't, I can't even do it. It's kind of like, like, you can't hear me do it. It's like, I'm like, I'm like back there, like in that hallway, and I'm like, are there, are, is there a ghost in here? Is, did they leave somebody over that maybe... And so I'm kind of like... Okay. Well, so I start walking the building, and I'm looking around, and I'm kind of going, walking this way, and I come through here, and I hear it really loud, but I can't tell it's coming from out there. So I walk down, come through this door, and as I walk out this door over here on the side, I'm kind of walking and looking in the parking lot, not catching the dude in the rocking chair, and he's sitting in the rocking chair, staring straight up to wherever. And he's literally going, <laughs> And I just had to, stop. before I even approached the guy, I was just like, do I get my iPhone out? It's recording this. Because this is a great weapon right here. And I'm sitting there. Just wondering, what? And I'm thinking, okay, I found it. Now do I duck back inside real quick? And the guy turns to me and goes, well, hey there. And I was just like, well, here we go. And I just entered into a conversation with this man. Um, just a broken individual. Uh, a guy who has just started coming back to church. Um, but he had so much pride uh, early on in life that he lost a marriage. His kids won't talk to him. Um, he lost his job quite a few times. Went from making uh, in, in excess to about $500,000 a year to being unemployed like that. Um, life punched him in the face. And he told me that I thought those things defined who I was. I thought those things made me who I was. But really what made me who I was was I'm free in Christ. And I'm talking to this guy for the first time. And I'm thinking... That's a testimony that I don't think many people truly fully understand. And the fact that you're sharing that with a stranger, it, one, is very strange. Um, but two, means that you believe this. You believe this to be true because you've experienced it. And so we mask it with so many different things. But yet, when we come out, what we talked about a couple weeks ago, out of the shadows and live for real. When we come out of the darkness areas and follow Christ in the open... That all those things that we used to mask and cover up are just, it's so free that you can sit in a rocking chair and do up into, into nowhere and not care a thing about who, who it, he didn't, it didn't bother him. He wasn't embarrassed. He wasn't strange. I'm not trying to tell you guys, be quiet please. Um, what I'm trying to say is that there is something about this freedom in Christ that you don't care anymore about what anybody says about you or what anybody thinks about you. He literally could have been embarrassed as soon as I walked out the door, but he wasn't. And he had nothing to hide, nothing to worry about. Hey, I'm going to talk to a stranger. And I think that's truly important. The second one is this. It's repeating what you have heard. When we're talking about self-image issues, a lot of times we're repeating what we've, either been, what we've heard or what we've been taught. Like, if you're at home, and I see this in so many ways, you're at home generic story, you have a mom or you have a dad that is constantly saying, especially a lot of times you hear moms do this or women, I'm fat when they look fine, 
I'm fat. I need to lose weight. Look at this. I need, eight, I need to lose eight pounds. And when it's over and over and over and over, you grow up in this system. All of a sudden, you start feeling that too. You start believing that. Well, that's what's important. That's what makes, that's supposedly an image thing. So it is important about what I look like. It is important about what I appear to be. And we have this going on. Um, dads working all the time, all hours of the day, come home maybe for dinner and then a good night kiss, wasn't there for homework, wasn't there to help with dinner, wasn't there to put, and all of a sudden you get used to this, well that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do these things. That's the image of a dad. Is a dad supposed to be kind of not there all the time and working hard for the family and doing these types of things? And we buy into this. We buy into that's what self-image is. So when we get older, that's our self-image. This is what we do. You talk to some of your dads. There's a couple of dads that I've talked to in here that I've had lunch with um, and over the years that say, I don't want that for my kid. I know that's what I do, and I don't want that for my kid. They'll tell you something opposite from what they're doing. It's hard to break, but it's easy to want something different for somebody else. And that's exactly what God wants for us is something different. We believe a lie. We, are, we believe a big, huge lie. Society, culture, our peers, our friends tell us this. You know, okay, let's put it in this perspective. Sex will deliver satisfaction and love. It delivers. It makes you feel whole. It makes you feel worth something. It makes you feel complete. It makes you feel um, wanted. And I can speak from experience of, of being in that position before being married and being a non-Christian. That's, that's not true. You actually feel worse every single time you do it. But when you're sitting there and with the opportunity to want to be loved and want to feel accepted, you buy into it every time. And it's a lot. Don't ever, ever trust that instinct. It will never deliver. Um, being thin will make you more beautiful or, or more acceptable. Ashley shared that. That if all of a sudden you lose a bunch of weight, people treat you different because that makes you a better person. Um, what it does is it kind of turns you into this fake individual who's not truly who you are. And now you're working really hard to be something that you're not. I'm not saying that losing weight is, a, is, a, is an overall bad thing, but if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you should lose weight to get healthier, not to be more popular. You should lose weight because uh, it, it is, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that you personally feel you need to do to not change your self-appearance or your self-image. That it's something that you just know that you need to do. That it would benefit you and you alone. But a lot of times, you, I, I just see it. I see it all the time in students, especially female students. That they just felt like, well, if I was as pretty as she is, look how thin she is, look how pretty she is. And like, if you were that thin, then your life would be better or your life would be okay. As if her life was okay. And yet you find out later that her life is not okay. And she's struggling. And what that person thinks about is, is I don't wish I was as real as that other person was. It's all about being real. It's all about being honest. Those are the people that truly make a difference and an impact in, 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 in all life are those that are honest with people. And they just come out and say, you know what, I struggle with my way. Or you know what, I struggle with this. Or, you know what, I don't live at the perfect home. Or hey, we don't have a lot of money. Those types of things. When you hear somebody say that, it's different. We don't have people that are that honest. But it feels so good when you run into somebody and you go, you got a problem too. And it makes us feel like we can talk to that person. I heard that testimony a lot in Sunday school this morning. That this is, this is home for a lot of people. This is home. Because you don't have to fake it. You don't have to feel like you're faking it around the people here. Because you've made those friends here. But I do know people that are in this building that are faking it. 
They're, they're doing something that is not, it's not who you are. It's not real. You know, we're, we're in church, and I don't want anybody to know there's anything wrong with me. I want everybody to believe that everything's okay with my life. The fact that you're in church shows that you're not okay. This is a place for not okay people. This is a place for us to come to the foot of the cross and seek forgiveness and to seek what God has for us. It's okay to say, I'm not okay. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. I want you, don't buy the lie that when you're here, hey, if I just live a life in Christ, everything's going to be okay. I'll get everything that I want. Everything's going to turn out just right. Everything's going to be perfect and I'll be happy and have tons of friends. Nope. That's not the way it works. It works actually opposite from that. Tell people you love Jesus and see how different life is. So we have all these competing things. We have like three or four opportunities of where we struggle with these things. We're believing lies. We're uh, repeating things that we've heard or we've been taught. We're masking over real issues. So we have all this confusion going on. So how do I find the real me? Who do I believe? Who do I trust? Where do I go? I'll tell you time and time and time again, you've got to go to the Bible, guys. The Bible is the place where we're going to find the answer for these real issues. Um, and the Bible tells us this. Uh, we are created in God's image. That is where our image comes from. That is where self-image makes a world of difference. Is that we're created in His image. We're a reflection of God. Now that's weird. Because God doesn't have a body. He's a, it's just a form. He's a spirit. He's a soul. Like we have a spirit and a soul. It's not saying that we look physically like God. What it's saying is that we are like God in this image of what His attributes are, His characteristics are. And I want to talk about that for just a second. But I want to tell you that this. If we start with ourselves and we're looking at self-image, if we look at self first, we'll fail every time. If we start with me, we're starting in the wrong place. And that's where most of us start. I need to change my self-image. So let me do this. And we're failing. We'll fail every time. It starts because we're created in His image. It says it in Genesis chapter 1. Go, um, go to this. Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, our being the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God, the Trinity. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I love that. So God created man in his image, in his own image. And the image of God, he created him. And male and female follows that. Guys, we are created in the image of God. So what does that mean? So there's some attributes I want to cover real quickly. The reason the fact that God loves where we can love. The ability to love comes from God himself. God loves us. We're able to love others. Not in this worldly love, but in the way that God loves us. It's a, God, it's a love from God. We're able to forgive. Sometimes. But we're able to forgive. But forgiveness comes from God first. That's an attribute of him. So when we forgive, we learn how to forgive because he forgave first. Grace. We learn how to have grace on people. Our best friends come to school one day, and they're acting like a jerk. And we're able to say, you know what, it's not that big of a deal because, hey, we all have bad days. I mean, don't you wish we would say that? But we take it personally. We get mad when our friend comes to school acting like a jerk. And we're like, what's wrong with that person? Why are they acting that way? We don't know what's going on. We have no, no idea what's going on. Now, once we find out they're really just being a jerk to be a jerk, hey, then let's say something about it. 
But we don't know sometimes. We have no idea. And confidence. I love this one. We have confidence because God is confident. you got to be confident to be God. I mean, God is for God. The Bible was written about God for God. And we get to be a part of it and see how God is working. God's all about Himself. And we go, oh, that's kind of self. That's kind of, you know, egotistical. He's God. So, can God do that? Yes, God can do that. It's called confidence. And our confidence comes from that as well. But our confidence doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from our ability to love. It doesn't come from our ability to forgive or have grace. It comes from Him and His ability to allow us to do those things. Now, here's what I'm about to say. And I want you guys to catch this because we're about to pull into this Bible verse that I have never seen before. That, all those attributes are supposed to be a reflection of who we are. In who we, who we present ourselves to be, that's what we're supposed to reflect. We're supposed to reflect love. We're supposed to reflect forgiveness. We're supposed to reflect grace. Because God has done all those for us as well. So just for a minute, I want you to think about your own life. How well are you doing that? When you look in the mirror, you may not like what you see, but at times, do you see grace? Do you see love? Do you see forgiveness? Do you see confidence? Because that is who God has created us to be and reflect His image in that. Now, that will never be perfect because of sin. Sin distorts the whole thing. We can't be perfect. We can't love everybody perfectly. We can't forgive everybody perfectly. We can't give grace and we can't be fully confident. So we're stuck in this. That's where a lot of it comes from. We don't fully understand this stuff. And to me, the biggest kicker in all this is grace. We don't fully understand what grace truly is. We know that it covers us in something. But we don't know how deep and how far that goes. Because in our own lives, when we say we forgive somebody, I mean, do we? Fully? Forgive? Not like God does. And so we have this conditional love. We hear unconditional love. We hear unconditional forgiveness. But because we can't practice that in our own life, a lot of times we think that's the way God's is too. And so we feel like we fully can't be forgiven. We feel like we fully can't be um, covered in this grace that God talks about. And I've struggled with this for years, y'all. My biggest self-image issues have always been the fact that I'm a moron. Um, I'm an idiot. I, I point blank. I know I am. You don't have to tell me that, but thank you for that. I do things sometimes, and I'll do it and go, why did I just do that? It's a natural impulse. It's a reaction. It's who I am. It, it, with the ADD meds, it's helped a little bit to not do some of those dumb things. But I say things off the top of my head. I mean, when you're staring at this lady at a cul-de-sac party, and she's a little overweight, and you say, hey, what's the baby do? And she tells you, I'm not pregnant. Yeah, it actually happened to me. And Tony was like, and I was like, ow, ow, I, I didn't know. How am I supposed to know that? Like, it just bleh, comes out. I'm infected by the stupidity in my own life. But it gets better. I, I'm distorted. You guys know me. I'm loving. I love everybody. But I can't love perfectly like God loves. So I want to show you this, this passage of Scripture. It is, I, I've never, never, never noticed this before. I can't set the whole thing up, but it's actually a couple slides up. It's actually 1 Kings. Um, it's uh, how God sees us. All right, I want you guys to see grace at work, and I'm going to end with this. Because uh, this is where I want to end. 
I want you guys to see what grace looks like, okay? This is absolutely one of the most important biblical stories you'll ever hear if you struggle with self-image and even just am I worth enough. How does God love me and what does God do with grace? And I have never caught this. It's a random verse stuck in the middle of 1 Kings. And basically, I can't do the full story about it, but King David was a couple generations before this, and we all know that King David was a man after God's own heart, that uh, he was part of the lineage that actually Jesus came out of. And so um, he was uh, the man, basically. Uh, he, was, he was an incredible king and somebody that, that mirrored God, reflected God in most of all that he did. And so we're moved on couple generations down the line, and the, the Israel's going through a lot of turmoil, and they have bad rulers, and they have bad kings, and then they'll have good kings and bad kings. And this is one bad king that was just running everything horribly. And so God says this through a prophet to tell this king. Check this out. It says, go tell Jeroboam, what a weird name, um, they weren't very original names back then, that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Now this is God saying this. To this dude, who was not a very good leader, I raised you up from among the people and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I gave them to you, okay? Me, God, took the whole, the wholeness of Israel and said, you are leading them now. I'm giving them to you. I took them away. Go to the next one. It says, I actually ripped them away from David. I tore the kingdom away from the house of David. And gave it to you. But you have not been like my servant David. Who kept my commands. And followed me with all his heart. Doing only what was right in my eyes. You have not been like my servant David. Who a couple generations ago was the one that was king. Now check. Who kept my commands and followed me with all of his heart. Doing only what was right in my eyes. My eyes being God's eyes. Really? What do we know about David? Adulterer, a murderer. In Second Samuel chapter eleven, I, I'm, we're not going there. Is the whole story of David and Bathsheba? And David saw this lady as he was walking his rooftop at night, well, middle afternoon. Back in the day, they didn't have heaters in the house. Go figure. So they would take their bathtubs and place them on the roof and let the water get warm all day long. And then that's how they would have warm baths. And so David, knowing this probably, there had to be been a little, I want to go look at naked ladies. That had to be probably what he was thinking in a certain way. And so there's David walking his rooftop, just kind of looking out. I'm the king, look at all, you know, my land. And he sees her and goes, man, she's hot. And he says, who is that? And they say, well, she's married. She's married to the guy that's in your army. Now, the one thing about this that I never caught was that it said in the first verse that during the spring, when all the kings went off to war, David decided not to. So David was already doing something that he normally shouldn't have been doing, which was staying home and being lazy. He was, he was setting himself up for failure right there. He was too good to be out there. I'm the king. With my self-image, what am I doing about it? I'm going to stay home and just do whatever I want to. I'm going to stay on the couch and 
you know, chill out, make rules, make laws, boss people around, do whatever I do as a king. Yeah, go to the rooftop and stare naked ladies, basically. I don't know. And so he sees her, brings her to his house, and they sleep together. And she gets pregnant by him. And you're like, whoa, okay. And then he and it gets worse. Then he says, okay, well, bring his bring her wife, her husband home off the battlefield. And then he tries to like say, go home, go home, go home and be with her, be with her, be with her. And he won't. He's like, I'm sleeping right here because all my friends are out here in the battle. And I don't want to do that. So he wouldn't. So basically he was like, well, I can't get out of that. Making excuses up to try to get everybody to think, oh, well, I was with her, so that's my kid. He was trying to cover up his sin. He did not acknowledge his sin. He was trying to cover it up, blame somebody else for what he had done, something stupid. And so he sends the guy off back to war with a note. The guy was carrying a note from King David to give to the commander that says, hey, when you get to this place where there's a heated battle, let him go first and you guys pull out. And that way he'll get killed. That dude carried his own death note to the commander. And sure, the commander read it and went, all right. And so they sent him off to battle. He walked on the front lines. They pulled out. He gets killed. So they turn to him. He comes back home. He's been killed. David thought it was all taken care of. God sends this prophet named Nathan who says, hey, I want you to go talk to King David. And I want you to tell him about his wrong ways. All right, now, if I'm a prophet, and God tells me, you need to go tell the king that he just sinned. And I'm going, he just killed somebody. Nah. Nah. You, you can go find somebody else to do it. I ain't doing it. But he does it anyway. And so he tells this weird story. He's like, King David, let me tell you what you've done wrong. Let me explain this thing to you. And he's like, yeah. You know, riddle me a riddle or whatever. And so he's like, there's this man, and he has this land. It was a precious land. It was on the love land. And he took the land everywhere he went. If he had a Facebook, it was in his Facebook profile. Him and the land together. <laughs> everywhere that they went, this land meant so much to him. And then there was this other guy who had tons of lambs. And he really didn't care about the lamb. And so the lamb basically came along. A, a traveler came along and said, I'm hungry. I want lamb. And so the guy who has tons of lambs didn't take one from his lamb. He went to this guy who loved his lamb and said, I want to kill your lamb. And took the lamb and killed it. And they had it for dinner. What do you think of that? And David was like, no way! That dude should be put to death! How is that person able to do that? And he actually should be able to repay back fourfold for that dead lamb. And Nathan looked straight at him and said, that dude is you. And David was just torn down. And he said, I have sinned before my God. He acknowledged his sin. And he repented on the spot. He said, I'm wrong. And Psalm 51 is probably one of the greatest psalms. It's on coffee mugs. It's on posters. It's torn apart. Read it from, from first verse to last verse. And you'll get an idea of how to repent. It is one of the most beautiful written psalms. What I don't know what to pray for sometimes, and I know I've done something stupid, I just pull out Psalm 51 and I read it. And I'm just like, God, cleanse me. Take away my transgressions. Make me white as snow. I have sinned against you. Forgive me. And so basically David acknowledged his sin after trying to be self-righteous and repented for his sin. And then Nathan says this in chapter 12. God has taken away your sin and doesn't remember. And here we get a couple generations later. This is what God is telling David, talking about David to a, to a, a bad leader. David, who kept my commands and followed me with all of his heart. 
doing only what was right in my eyes. It's the only thing God remembers. He doesn't remember the other stuff. If you truly acknowledge your sin and repent, it's gone, guys. You don't have to worry about this battle and this struggle. Am I forgiven? Am I forgivable? Am I a Christian? It's gone. 